Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. If you're new to our church, every week here we open up the Bible, and it's pretty cool. I don't know if you know this, but about six weeks ago, we started not only, uh, we had a podcast, as a lot of people that listen to that, but about six weeks ago, we, we started doing a Facebook Live. Have you guys seen it on Facebook already? Uh, we started a live stream of our service during this service. And so right now, we're getting ready to go live. Are we live? We're already live. Welcome, everybody. on. Come on, give a big hand clap to everybody watching live right now. So we, uh, we just started it six weeks ago. I think the first week, we had like 200 people watch. Second week was like 350. Third week was like 600. Next week was like 1,000, 1,200, 1,500, 1,600. So I think two weeks ago, it was like 16 or 1,700. This last Sunday, as of right now, 8,500 people have watched our service from last Sunday. Isn't that pretty cool? I guess half the room. Whatever. Not a big deal. Um, So that's cool. I appreciate you guys going on. If you want to even right now, you can go on to Facebook and share this live. And uh, if you're watching right now, live, go ahead and feel free to reshare this as well. I believe that good news is good. Whoa. Buckle up today, guys. It's going to be one of those mind-blowing Sundays. And so good news is good. I want to apologize to churches that you've gone to that have made the best news on the earth boring. I want to apologize for everyone that's gone to a church that's actually made the good news of God seem bad. And I want to even just go a step further and say, I want to apologize for every Christian that claimed Jesus as their God, but not, that did not live or represent him well. I believe the good news is good. And I believe, look, we're not perfect. That's why we needed Jesus. But I want you to know that here at Ocean's Church, we're asking God, come on, to do something going towards Jesus genuinely, passionately. And we're asking God, come on, to do something special in our lives. I appreciate the golf clap. There's... Thanks, Mom. Uh... But no, we're going to have a good time today. Uh, If you have your Bibles, every week we go to the Bible here at Oceans. Uh, We are entering into the Christmas season. And so I try my best to kind of uh, be aware of of some current events. Uh, And uh, Christmas would obviously be one of those. (laughs) Get in trouble in church. Whole Easter thing. Well, I guess we'll celebrate it. Uh, But no, we're going to kind of talk about the uh, Christmas story the next uh, few weeks in our church. And we're going to start a new little mini-series called Joy joy. And uh, if you're new to our church, every week we open up the Bible. I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 2. We will read 12 verses if you're new to our church. Everything that I teach on, talk about today is connected to these 12 verses. And my hope would be is that there'd be some historical knowledge that comes your way, maybe some Bible uh, passion that rubs off on you. But at the end of the day, we're not just reading these words to study God. We're actually reading these words because we believe faith comes by hearing them. And as we hear it, we have faith to experience and encounter God. So our goal at the end of this time, even if you're watching online, is to invite the presence of the God of the Bible to come into our hearts and our minds and to do things that no one else on the earth can do. Telling me that God does things that money can't do. God does things that success can't accomplish. He can do things that your spouse, your kids, there's, there's things that he offers that no one else on earth does. There's 14 people that believe that in this room. Hopefully more online. Um, but I want to encourage you today that we want to we make space, as the song says, for God to be and to do what only he can be and do. Come on, say amen. 
And uh, we, we are a little bit of a rowdy church. Some of you are like, this is new for me. But again, come on, someone say sushi. We're going to, maybe the first time you didn't like it, but we're going to learn to acquire a taste for something different. And uh, if you're taking notes today, the first message I really felt like God put on my heart for this new series, kind of mini-series that we're in, is I want to talk to you this morning about a better way. A better way. Who likes better ways? A few of you do. Uh, Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to read a pretty familiar story. And here's the funny thing. Have you ever read a story so often, you know it so well, that you are completely ignorant of it? Have you ever like, you ever completely just desensitized yourself to a passage. You have it memorized. You saw it the first time when you were six months old. And you've completely, totally just, it's, it's like white noise to you. I think much of the Christmas narrative is white noise. We read it every year. If you were, grew up in a Christian home, mom and dad read it every Christmas morning. And we know the stories of the shepherds. We know the stories of Mary getting pregnant, of Elizabeth having a baby leap in her womb, about shepherds, you know, encountering angels, and about uh, even what we're going to read, wise men bringing gifts from afar. But I want to, if I can ask us today, can we look at this passage with a fresh set of eyes? I told first service, but I played a joke on my wife, which is rare. <laughs> Kidding. Pretty frequent in our, our marriage. My job is to make her laugh. And so I try my best to do that. But I kind of teased her one time. I got up on an airplane. We're flying into Texas. It was tornado season. And uh, I was kind of just like, oh, man, I hope there's no twisters while we're here. And my wife is just always kind of concerned, like being prepared, you know. And so, man, I hope there's no twisters, you know, and just kind of kind of hyping her up a little bit. And I walked back on the airplane, and I realized that our window, it looked like it was like apocalyptic looking outside. It was gloomy. Funnel clouds developing. It just looks scary. So good luck, Kelly. Um, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. 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 I like Texas. Uh, but uh, so I got up to use the restroom, and literally I, uh, I realized that it was actually blue skies outside. The problem was is we had the only dirty window on the plane. So I was teasing Rochelle, but she got off the plane. She's like, what in the world? I said, no, babe. I was messing with you. It looked scary out there. Only because our window was dirty. And, man, I just like the Lord, come on, speaking to me through that, even that right now, that I'd like to look at a passage that we've all seen. But I'll be honest, I think many of us have looked at this passage with a dirty, dirty glass. And so if we can get fresh set of eyes today, I want to look at the, the, the Christmas narrative the next few weeks. Uh, and, again, not studying just God alone, but we're experiencing through these texts, these passages. So if you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 2, let's begin reading in verse 1. Now, after... Uh, after Jesus was born. When? So this might mess with some of your nativity scenes today. This is, and just, just go with me. I want to make a couple observations again because you are immune, uh, numb, I should say, to what this Bible actually says sometimes. After the child Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men, some of your Bibles might say magi, came from the east to Jerusalem, the capital city, where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star from the east, and we come here, we have come here to worship him. Why did they come? They came to worship him. So when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. All of Jerusalem with him, and he gathered all the chief priests, scribes, the people together. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, 
But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are you not the least among the rulers of Judah? For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod, when he heard, when he heard this, had secretly called the wise men, determined about the time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying this, Go search carefully for the young child. Young what? Notice he was not a baby. Notice it was a young child. Actually, seven times in seven verses in this, in this chapter, it's referred to as a, Jesus referred to as a young child, not a baby. And so it goes on. And when you have found the young child, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him too. He's lying. And uh, when they heard the king, they departed. Behold, the star that they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young, yeah, you're getting it, uh, where he was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced. When they saw the star, they with exceeding great joy. It's crazy that every Christmas story, there's joy. The, Gabriel tells Mary, rejoice, you've found favor with God. Re it's crazy that Elizabeth, it says the baby leaped inside of her when he experienced the presence of Jesus. He leaped with great it goes throughout the passages, all of these scriptures, talking about how everyone that encountered J Jesus, the shepherds in the field, angels said, hey, today a baby's born, re joy was a common denominator wherever Jesus was. So with great joy, these uh, wise men begin to celebrate. So they walked into not the barn, not the cave, not the feeding trough, they walked into the house where the big, young, sorry, the nativity scene is messing up right now, praise, and worshipped him. And when they opened up their treasuries, they presented gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold represented uh, royalty, frankincense represented divinity, myrrh represented his humanity. Then being divinely warned, verse 12, after they... Worshipped after they gave, divinely warned in a dream. It goes on to say this, uh, that in the dream, God told them not, they, they should not return to Herod. So they departed for their own country another way. Say it with me, another way. My prayer for you today is that when you encounter the presence of Jesus like the wise men, you would leave today a little bit changed. She'd want to actually leave a little bit, come on, different. I don't think you can encounter God and lead the same way. Let's pray. Is that all right? Just gave away my message. Spoiler alert. God, I just thank you for the opportunity to be uh, at Oceans today. Thank you that we don't live in the frozen tundra called America, uh, but we live in California. <laughs> thank you for what you're doing in Orange County. Thank you for all the people that you brought to this room and, and this property today. I'm so grateful for people that come week after week, uh, not to hear a message or to sing some songs, but to encounter you. We invite you, Lord, to have preeminence today, and I pray whether we're watching online, on our laptop, or Lord, whether we're in this building, that you would encounter us where we are. We know there's atheists, agnostics, people that have never experienced you, that are watching right now or listening right now. We pray that you'd meet them where they are and meet us where we are, and I pray we'd all leave saying, man, I'm so glad I watched, I listened, or I attended this church today. God, we just pray you continue to bless your team, the Los Angeles Lakers, in Jesus' name, and all the Christians said amen. Come on. Hey, man, that's all good by itself right there. I, uh, I, 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 I didn't really know how to use uh, maps very well on my phone because I lived in Idaho. 
17 years I lived in Idaho. And I want you to know that if you use a map application when you live in Idaho, you got bigger problems. Didn't use apps very often, didn't need apps. There's one freeway in Idaho. The most complicating part of the entire freeway experience in Boise is the spot where they're actually wise. One way will take you to Salt Lake City. The other way will take you to the mall. That's all you got to know about that. So needless to say, 17 years, didn't worry about MapQuest. Come on, rest in peace. MapBooks. Who remembers those? I never really, I didn't have to. I didn't use them, didn't need to use maps. I, I just, I knew. It's like you get, you, you know where, there's like three roads. And everyone lives off those three roads. And it's just very easy to get around. And then, then we moved down here last year. We actually landed in Orange County May 10th of last year. And never lived here before, didn't have any friends here, didn't have any family here. I moved here, we moved here blindly, and people will say, what was like the first eight months like living in Orange County? I say, I describe it as one word, lost. Yeah. <laughs> wrong freeways, wrong roads, that's a toll road? <laughs> True story. I racked up like $1,200. You think I'm exaggerating. Thank God, one of my friends said, do not pay that money. I said, what? I'll go to jail. They said, no, you call. Come on, the church said, um, this is free for somebody today. You call and you say, hey, I'm new here. I don't know what I'm doing. Can you, like, take off the fees? They're like, yeah, I'll take the fees off. They removed the fees. I owed, like, 70 bucks. I'm like, y'all are mean. Some demon-possessed people work for the tolls. Well, uh. I didn't know. I didn't know how to get around. I, didn't, I, I had to rely on the maps. And uh, it's funny how much confidence you have in digital technology. Like, I trust it. Like, I, I have. I, I, I don't know if you've been there before, but um, you ever, like, followed the directions to a T and still ended up at the wrong spot? It's profoundly messed up. I think, like, every, like, every hundred routes... There's like a little committee meeting in the office of Google and like, dude, let's just send him to North Dakota. Put in Bismarck. Let's see if he follows it. Let's see how long it takes for him to realize he's going to Bismarck. I've done, I've, I've followed the directions and, and you're, you're always convinced because it always says you are on the most efficient route. You're on the most efficient. I'm like, thank you. Thank you. I, I believe you. And then it's like really encouraging when it says a faster route is available and you have the option to stay on the slow one or to be a Christian come on I'm wasting time come on ain't nobody got time so I was like we're going on the faster route and and it's crazy because I don't know if you've been there before but this week was actually a really special week I should have mentioned this earlier but some of our favorite people got engaged this week Kara and Jordan got engaged met at Ocean's Church Dated in Ocean's Church, got engaged in Ocean's Church, married, gonna have we're going to grow this church one way or another. But they had their engagement party. It was down in like Santa Ana, and I'm not familiar with Santa Ana, and so I'm driving down the road. I'm like, do I have a bulletproof vest? Okay, go out. And I'm, I'm driving, and uh, I, I, I was like stuck in this, this really just congested traffic, and, and it said I'm on the fastest route. And it said, like, you know, most efficient, you're on it. And it was literally bumper to bumper. I was literally a half a mile away, 
and it was telling me 21 minutes. It's like, where do I live? What is life? So I, uh, but it was weird because on my GPS, I saw there was parallel side streets, but I had trust. I'm like, this, she wouldn't mislead me. She's honest. She's been so good to me all these years. So I trusted her, but I'm like, I'm getting so frustrated. I'm like, man, I got to get there. And they were going to be there, so I didn't want to ruin the surprise. Because no one likes the guy that shows up at the same time as the surprise shows up. So my heart's like, I got to get there. I was getting ready to take sidewalks. Come on. And uh, I'm like, all right. So I I literally turned. I'm like, finally, just courageous enough. I'm like, I'm going to try the side street. So I did. There is no cars on the side streets. I'm flying. I'm like just, I'm making great time. But all of a sudden, she comes back on and she's like, she's like, basically, you've disobeyed me. <laughs> she was tracking me. She was. She's like, why are you cheating on me right now? <laughs> so she actually convinced me. She, she coerced me. Suffering. Turned to Egypt. Back. She said, come back to the road you were on. Come back to the suffering. Return to Egypt. That's what she said. And, uh. So I literally, I'm like, she wouldn't lie to me. So I literally drove back to the road, and I'm back in the traffic again. I'm like, why would she do this? Why would she tell me this is the best way when it's not the best way? So I finally, like, look, we're done. I turned her off. I got back on the road, took the side streets, made it there in like 27 seconds. But I realized this, that sometimes I, I felt like the parallel is true, that we have one way set in our minds, but there's actually a better way. There's actually a better way. I don't know about you, but Christmas can be almost like one of the most stressful, busy. It's like great for your kids, but awful for you. They're excited. You're like, Mommy, Daddy, why are you depressed? Like, it's like, it's Christmas. It's crazy. There's recitals and company potlucks and picnics and, and, and Christmas parties and birthday parties and this gathering and that gathering and it's crazy busy and everyone's excited that's under the age of 12. But everybody else just has this look on their face like, January's coming. <laughs> I don't know who you are, but I just, I, I, I just, I was praying this week for our church because I try to do it every week and I just feel like the Lord wanted me to tell you that these wise men teach us about another way. Teach us about another way. Say with me, another way. I would go further to say it's actually a better way. And I think that the better way that they revealed us leads to where they ended up, which the place was, where did they land? They landed with rejoicing, with exceedingly great joy. I believe that there's something about the Christmas story, about the presence of Jesus, that leads to exceeding great joy. Come on, if you believe it, say amen. I think there's a lot of people that are just discouraged, defeated, I saw one, uh, one Christian leader just even this week kind of going on a social media rant about how he's just like down in the dumps and he's, he's discouraged and he's depressed and he's like, man, this stinks and life's awful. Thank God for heaven. And I'm like, well, that's not very encouraging. Yeah. Like if God's not big enough to help out on this side of eternity, yeah. maybe we're not really crying out to the right deity. And so I want to just let you know today, there is something about Jesus that leads to joy. That was worth saying amen to right there. There's something about who he is, crazy, even from his earliest origins, that incited joy in people. So what do we know is that these magi, who, just a little history lesson, these guys were actually, they say, the descendants of Balaam. Balaam was the kind of the father of the magi. Magi literally means magicians. 
It means people that practiced the dark arts. They were interested in studying the supernatural. These guys were not Jews. They did not cry out to Yahweh. These were not people that should have been searching for God. But for some reason, they got a, they got a prophecy from Balaam hundreds of years prior, and they've been waiting, expecting this, this, this star to be revealed that would reveal about a new coming king. And so these magi, uh, very highly educated, some of, the, some of the wealthiest, most educated humans on the planet at the time. And many times we think there was three of them because that's how many come in our nativity scene. But there's actually probably 14. There's probably around 14 magi that traveled together. We have pictures of them on camels. They probably weren't riding camels because they were from Persia. They were riding Persian horses. And they didn't travel like three days like, come on, McGee and me told you. It's for three Christians in the room. Actually traveled uh, about 1,000 miles. Would have taken them 9 to 16 months. Can you imagine 9 to 16 months? Because they were, they were being led by something in the sky. And I was, again, I was kind of going through this, and I felt like the Lord was just revealing things that he wanted me to share with you even today. But I would just say this to you. I think there's reasons why these wise men had joy exceedingly. And I believe it's because of really, really four reasons, if we're, if we're going to break it down today. Are you ready to go? Four things, I believe, create joy in the presence of Jesus. If you're ready, you can write this down. I believe the first thing that leads to joy in the presence of God, number one, is expectation. Come on, that's a good spot for an amen. Are you serious? That's, that's the first point? Exactly the first point. Expectation. I think many people live way, 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 way below what God died on the cross to give them. I think many of us, we expect nothing. It's going to be the same 2020, same as always. It's going to be the same doom, gloom, politics, economy, this, that, fear, negativity, sarcasm, the world's going to hell. Come on, where is faith at? Expectation has something internal that goes, you know what? God's in charge. And I'll tell you, I will vote because I, I love the right as an American to be able to vote. But I want you to know, my confidence is not in who gets elected next year. My, my, my fear and my, my attitude is not, are you hearing me, in who sits in the Oval Office. My confidence comes on who's sitting on the throne. Because when the right person sits on the throne of your life, it really doesn't matter. Are you hearing me? There's something bigger. There's a, there's a larger narrative at play. And I believe the first thing these guys teach us is in Matthew 2, 2, it says, we've come here to worship him. Why would you travel 16 months, a thousand miles, sitting on a horse unless you had some sort of expectations? I think many people never experience God's joy or his presence because they never come with expectations. Why do you go to church today? Well, I always go to church. Why do you go to Oceans? Well, my parents went to a church, and I just found it. It's close to my house, convenient, whatever. Uh, the guy, you know, he, he wears his wife's jeans. He's funny sometimes. Um, we check a box, and we say, like, well, I'm going to do, I'm just going to do what's expected. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I've always done. My family's always done. I was raised Christian, and so I want to continue to do the right things. But if I'm being honest, sometimes we come to church just out of obligation, but not out of expectation. And I want you to know there's something greater about opening your Bible up with expectations that God can speak to me today. Well, I read my Bible, my, my, my daily Bible reading plan. Okay, you read it. What'd you get out of it? What's God speaking to you today? Well, I read four chapters. 
well, what, what's he saying to you in this season? I think one of the coolest questions to ask believers is, man, hey, what's God, what, what's God put on your heart today? Well, you mean he can speak to me? Yeah, it says daily bread. It means like God has something for you. I'm waiting for Sunday to get a word from the man I got. No, no, Jesus died so that we can all be men and women of God. You don't need a priest. You don't need someone to actually be an intermediary. We don't need someone to stand in the place between us and God. God gives us bold, full access. VIP, pre, uh, VIP passes into his presence. And so I believe the first thing that these guys teach us is that there's something profoundly powerful about living life towards God with expectations. Some of you are here today, you're like, I don't believe in God. You're watching online, you're like, I don't even believe in God. But I'm telling you that if you stay in the road you're at, one scholar said it this way, if you keep going the way you're going, you'll end up where you're headed. <laughs> Profound. We'll have aspirin in the back for all of you that just blew your mind right there. You'll end up where you're headed. Man, well, last year, the last few years, it's been discouraging. It's been just dysfunctional. I feel like things aren't getting better. I feel like things are getting worse. I, I just, I think that it's going to, my family's dysfunctional. I come from a bad background. I didn't have good parents. I didn't grow up with a, with a great life. I didn't get dealt a good hand. And I want you to know that if you keep living the way you're living, you'll end up where you're headed. But something, listen, can change when you say, you know what? There's something about Christmas that can get your hopes up. What would happen if I expected God to speak to me right now? What would happen if some of you that are in the room, you say, Mark, I believe that God could heal me today. I believe that today could be the turning point for my marriage. I actually believe that today, if we pray for my son, that today could be the day that God liberates him from his addiction to drugs. What, come on, what does expectation do? It, it, I believe it, it does more than change God, it changes you. God is already willing, he's already able, he's already in the mood. But what we have to do is elevate our expectations to get on God's level. What are you saying? It says this in Mark, uh, Matthew 9, 29. It says, Jesus put his hands on a blind man, and he said, according to your belief, let it be done to you. Mark 6, 4 and 5. A, a prophet is not without honor unless he's in his hometown amongst his own relatives. Jesus, crazy, could not. Didn't say he didn't want to. It said that the God of the universe that made everything out of nothing, that by him, through him, all things that were made, were made, could not do any mighty miracles except lay hands on a few headaches. When he was raised from the dead in other cities, opening up blind eyes, pulling people out of wheelchairs in other cities, comes to his hometown, but because everyone was sitting there, arms crossed, no faith, hurry up and finish up, Jesus. You built my deck. Just familiar with God. I think there's a lot of people that have a heart for God in Orange County, but there's a lot of familiar Christians. I've been to church my whole life, preacher. I've been to 50 churches in this valley. There's something about familiarity that robs God of who he wants to be in your life. You know what expectation does? It says literally, God, I believe that you can do anything. Expectation changes things. Mark 2 tells a story about four, four guys that punch a hole through a house church in the ceiling, lower in their crippled friend, and Jesus does not look at the crippled man. He looks at the four guys lowering him into the room. The, the crippled guy didn't have faith for himself, but it was his friends that made the, are you following me, that, that had an expectation. If we can just get him near God, he'll change things. It says that Jesus saw their faith and honored their faith. I believe expectation is what moves God. 
God, I believe today's the day. Some of you came with zero expectation for God to speak to you today. Some of you came with zero expectation that you were going to get healed today. But I made up my mind before I showed up in the parking lot that I was not going to meet you with no faith. I said, God, give me extra faith for them today. I came like a pregnant woman. Come on, eating up for one. Come on, I was eating for two last night. And I ate extra for you last night. Come on, I packed some extra in my lunch because I want to share with you, come on, some extra faith. Expectation changes things. These guys come in, they said, we came 900 miles to worship God. So they expected. You know what else will change you? These wise magi teach us something beyond just expectation. They taught us how to enter into this joy of encountering God through expression. Expression. Now it's going to get quiet in here for a few minutes because we're dignified, well-educated, very sophisticated intellectuals in Orange County. But I would like to just suggest for a moment that there are some ideas in Scripture that have nothing to do with Pentecost, have nothing to do with Charismania. These are not Pentecostal ideas, charismatic ideas, non-denominational church ideas. These are Bible ideas. Are you ready to go? So it says this, that they came in and they expressed themselves. How do they express themselves? The Bible says they fell down. That's English. The Greek is just only has one word. It literally means, the Greek word, it means to fall prostrate and to actually shatter or to break in that moment. To fall down, to shatter or break. It's like it's a violent falling. And so here's the deal. They walk in, and again, the, the wise men, sorry to mess up your nativity scene, they were not there when Jesus was born. They were there when he was probably two years old. And so Jesus is a toddler. Can you imagine? You see... You see 14 really well-dressed. Yeah. <laughs> Let's make it modern day. You see a limousine, Barrett, Brigade, there it is. <laughs> it was close. Shondai. Um, they, the limousines pull up, and all these guys in suits and tuxedos and earpieces, they walk into your mom's living room, and you're the next-door neighbor, and all of a sudden you see all of these dignitaries fall down. At a two-year-old little baby. Can you imagine this? You know what we learn here is the wise men say, you know you enter into the presence of God, experience his joy by being humble enough to express worship. There's two things they express. Are you with me today? The first thing they express is worship. They actually physically expressed worship. Now, before you tune me out and you're like, oh my gosh, this is where it's going to get weird. I want you to know that expressing yourself through worship is not, again, a charismatic idea. Here, let me just go look. They were willing to actually break in the presence of God, falling, falling flat on their face. But here's some other expressions that are, again, Bible ideas. How about this one? How about the, the expression of clapping? Try it out. Look, look, uh, uh, let's just do a recession clap. Can we just do one? That's a recession clap right there. So clapping... Why, would, why does the Bible teach clapping? It says in Job 27, verse 23, it actually says that men shall clap their hands and hiss at their enemies. In the ancient world, clapping was used for two reasons. Are you with me today? It was used for two reasons, to celebrate and to not only celebrate, it was actually also used to, to incite victory over adversaries. So when a king in a kingdom would defeat a other nation, they would actually have the, the, the defeated nation walk in the middle with the military on both sides, and the military that won would just clap 
and, and, and taunt them as they walked through the middle of them. Clapping was a reminder of their victory and of their enemy's defeat. Some people come to church like, man, this church is a little bit too, too for me. It's a little fired up. They're a little hyper, a little spiritually hyper. But I want, why do they clap? Why do they clap? I'm telling you, there's something powerful about clapping that shifts atmospheres. I, I'm telling you, I've, I've been doing this for a, a pretty good amount of time now. I'm 35. I look 34. I'm 35. I'm tired of that joke. I'm not. Um, is they clap. It means to taunt their enemies. Psalms 98.9 says, let the river clap their hands. Isaiah 55.12 says, let the, let the trees of the forest shall clap their hands. What are trees of the forest? Psalms chapter 1, what does it say? He shall be like a trees like people. Why? This is a prophetic picture that there's something profound about humans that clap in the presence of God. Clapping, I believe, in the presence of God, it does two things. It reminds God of his victory. And it reminds the dark powers at work in your life of their defeat. And every time the devil wants to remind you of your past, you just remind him of his future. I'm telling you, yeah, I know I have a past, but guess what? I know the future. You lose. And I'm telling you, when you start clapping in an atmosphere, it starts to change. Faith starts to build. Clapping is a way that we express ourselves in worship. And some people go, Mark, I don't like going to church because they clap so much. They, they clap too much in church. It's weird. Well, I think sporting events are weird. I think going to movies are weird sometimes. You ever been to a movie theater and there's like that weird guy that starts to slow clap? And you're like, I hope no one helps you. Just leaves you out there. So weird. Why are we clapping? Dude, no one's here. It's like you and four people in the theater. He's clapping. Why do we clap at movies? Why do we clap at sporting? Why, why, do we, why do we clap? Because there's something about clap that incites victory. I believe if I was the devil, you know what I'd try to do? I would try to make Christians think that clapping is weird. i tell you what else I would try to get them to do. I would try to make them think that shouting was weird. Your church shouts sometimes when they're like excited? Weird. How about Christian? Guess not. Psalms 47, 1 says, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with a voice of mediocrity. Oh, triumph. I'm telling you, there's something about shouting. I do it sometimes, and some people might look at me. I don't really care. I'm not really focused on you when we're singing. The, and listen, the message is for us. The worship is for God. And the first part of the service, and some of you are like, ah, I'll just show up a little later. I'm going to get there for the part of the service that's good, the message. I want you to know, the message is for humans. But the music is for God. And we're singing in the beginning of the service. That's God's. That's God's. And, and I'll start shouting sometimes. We'll be up here and I probably distract the band all the time. So I get fired up. There's something about clapping and shouting that just, I think, changes the atmosphere. Galatians 4, uh, 4.27 says, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout. The Bible always had this idea that shouting was actually signifying victory before it came. What do you mean? Like Jericho, what did they do? They, they walked around quietly, and then they, they shouted before the walls came down. I believe before victory, shouting is usually found. And these, I'm telling you, some of you are like, Mar, I don't believe in shouting, I don't believe in clapping. It's a Bible idea. How about this third one, singing? 
Well, it's for the musicians. I'm going to sip my latte like the rest of California. I'm telling you, this most Cal I grew up in California. Most California churches, they just like, it's like a concert. Okay, we're going to pay the musicians. They're going to go up there. They're going to kind of entertain us for a little bit. And they're going to entertain us, like play the guitar. And the one dude with the, like, the acoustics is going to kind of like. And we're just going to kind of sip our lattes and like, so good. It's great, great message. Good, it's good. I like the music. They sang my song. Good job. I want you to know, we're not here to entertain anybody. Music, listen, music was not made for us. Do you know why music is so, I could go on, I could preach this morning. Do you know that music is ancient? Music was not invented by human, humanity. Did you know that? Music was invented by God. And music actually wasn't just invented by God, it was invented for God. That's why music takes people places that nothing else takes you to. Because music was never designed for man to use it on man. Music was made by God for God. And that's why many people get messed up because they use their musical talents and the only person they try to glorify is themselves. Music, listen, it was made by God for God. It's ancient. And I'll tell you right now, one of the things that can change your life faster than anything else is using your vocal chords, your percussionary instrument. Come on, your wind instruments. Let everything that has breath. You know, in the beginning, there was chord instruments, there was wind instruments, and there was percussionary instruments. The devil actually had them built into him. It says that he had wind instruments, he had percussionary instruments, it, he had, he had uh, string instruments built into his physical body. And that's why I think the devil gets so angry at churches that know how to worship. It reminds him of what he lost and we gained. Do you know that the church replaced Lucifer as the chief musicians of God? We have percussionary instruments. You're using it. You have vocal cords. You're using them. This is the God that we serve. There's something about shouting and singing. How about lifting your hands? That's weird. I know I'm in California. I'm stepping on some toes. No, I'm just going to sip my latte, sit in my chair, and they're going to entertain me. Listen, the Bible says to lift up holy hands. It goes on in Psalm 63, verse 4. It says, thus I will bless the Lord while I live. I will lift my hands in your name. That's a charismatic. That's a Bible idea. What do you mean? Why would you lift your hands? Because hands always have the ability to do two things, honor and represent authority. Well, my pastor said it's surrender. Look. Theologically, we, it's not true. Surrender is not the main reason why we lift our hands in church. Sounds good. It's a modern idea that we'd surrender. But theologically, the reason why we lift our hands in church is because hands represented honor and authority. That's why Abraham, notice when they blessed their kids, they never put their elbows on them. It wasn't like a Jedi forehead to forehead. Come here, son. I'm going to bless you. How did they bless? Abraham laid his what? Yes. On Jacob and blessed him. Jacob laid his hands on Israel and he, come on, Israel laid his hands on all 12 sons. That's why even New Testament, what does it say? To lay what on the sick? Hands, watch, authority and honor. And that's why if I was the devil, I'd be like, yeah, raising your hands weird in church, don't do that. Keep your hands down. Don't honor anybody but yourself. 
But I'm telling you, listen, I'm not, I don't step on some toes. But I'm telling you, you want joy to break out in your life? Learn how to express worship. God, I will get my hands out of my little pockets, and I'll get out of my little comfort zone. What if someone's watching? Yeah, guess what? God's watching. So don't care about who the girl is, the guy is. My kids are watching. My prayer for every man in our church is that you would get caught by your kids worshiping God. We need more kids watching mom and dad pray in their living rooms. I'm telling you, our kids need to, come on, not catch us smoking things and drinking things and getting too much of this and too much of that. We need a generation of, come on, men and women that get caught by their kids. Let everything that has, it's the God that we, we serve. Things change in culture when God changes us. And I'm telling you, I'm so sick and tired of, of everyone going, Mark, you can't be demonstrative. And you, you can't, you, man, you shouldn't be a church that's so passionate. You're going to turn seekers off. Listen, these guys were seeking God. And when these seekers showed up to church, oh, they, they fell down prostate. They were lying before God. They actually were lying flat on their faces. They were not scared of what others thought about them. Got their fancy clothes dirty. Rode 900 miles to encounter this. I'm telling you that lifting holy hands is what expresses honor and gives our authority back to God. Why are you lifting your hands in church today? Because I'm expressing that, God, I honor you with all that I have. And you know what else? Any authority that you've given me, I, I, I want you to know that I, I, I would rather live with your authority than my authority. That's why I lift my hands. And I think his band can come up, I'm almost finished. Is these guys did really two things. They expressed, they expressed worship by falling down. And after they expressed worship, you know what they did? Because I'll be honest with you. I believe you know you had an encounter with God in worship when the second thing happens in your life, when a spirit of generosity comes on you. Now it's going to get quiet in here for a second. Because anytime you talk about generosity, you think that's when the devil's going to start talking. But what I've learned is every time God would touch someone's heart, it's wild how you always have a desire to open up your treasuries to other people around you. You ever notice this, that you come to church like, I have no desire to give any money, but for some reason you get so touched by God, you're like, you know what, I think I'm supposed, I think I'm supposed to help this church. I had a business guy talk to me last week. He goes, I have never been to church, this church before in my whole life. He goes, uh, I've been to many services. He named from the vineyard to Calvary Chapel back in the day, Chuck Smith and all these services. He goes, Mark, he goes, I've been to church my whole life. That was the single greatest experience I have ever, I'm not saying this to brag or whatever. I'm just telling you, this guy was touched. He goes, I live in another state, but God's telling me that I'm supposed to be a part of supporting this church somehow because there's something special in this church that this city needs. Why? Because when God, watch, touches your heart, the natural response is to get generous. Prove it to me. Look at the early church. 3,000 added. The apostles start teaching night and day. What does it say? They had all things in common. Tithings under the law. Well, yeah, actually it was before the law with Melchizedek. But it was after the law because the New Testament, they didn't give 10%. They sold all they had. How could such generosity come on the scene that they're like, look, I got some real estate I'm going to sell so you can take care of any homeless person in the church. That was New Testament generosity. Now, I don't want to talk too much about it because I don't want you to get scared and leave. 
But I want to just, I want to suggest this to you. If you're lacking joy, it's funny that even the most liberal anti-God psychiatrist will tell you that one of the fastest ways to cure depression is by taking your attention off of yourself and finding somebody else to help. Sounds like a Bible idea. Wow. It is. I was talking to one of my friends this week. He just started coming to our church brand new. Brand new. I mean, barely, probably just brand new in his faith. And he goes, uh, he texted me out of the blue this week. He goes, he goes Mark, I just want to say thank you for the, the impact that Oceans has had on my life. He said, I'll be honest, I was having a pretty down moment this week, like I've had in the past. But all of a sudden, all your teachings started coming into my head. And he said, uh, and I felt like I was supposed to find someone that was maybe having a worse day than me and help them. So I went, and he's got a lot of, he's got a big following. So he goes on his social media, I guess, and he said, he asked some of his friends, if you know anyone in need, I want to help them out. So he found a single mom who didn't have money for not only presents, they didn't have money for a Christmas tree. It was a friend of a friend, he said, he goes, Mark, I was able to actually go get a tree. I bought a beautiful tree for her. I got to get presents for every one of her kids. And he was like, he was, he was so pumped that he was actually, watch, because when you encounter God, it makes you want to open up your treasuries. I want to be honest with you, man. My, my goal in life is to give more to God's kingdom financially than I honor Verizon with, than I honor Tesla with. If I own a Tesla one day, that was a faith right there. I felt faith when I said that. I don't know why that was faith. Should have said Ferrari. Come on, house buddy. I want to give God more than I give anybody else. And I'll just let you know, when you really touch God and you encounter Him, it'll do two things. It'll make you want to worship. And when you start worshiping, I want to warn you, all of a sudden you're going, man, I don't know why, but during the service, I felt like the Lord put, you know, Bodhi on my heart. I want to, I want to just, I feel like the Lord's telling me to bless those guys. I feel like, man, Kelly's getting ready to move. I feel like I'm supposed to just give her a gift before she, she's getting married. I remember being young. I remember moving. I remember getting engaged. Some of you are in a point in your life that you can bless some of these younger people. Listen, that's the voice of God. Do you know that I've never had a moment with the devil that I felt to be more generous? But it's the weirdest thing. I get in the presence of God sometimes. He's like, hey, give everything in your wallet to that guy right there. You're like, that's the devil. But the devil doesn't want to help people. Are you hearing me? So we're going to be a church that opens up our treasuries. Do you know that, this is crazy. Did you know that, uh, I think it's 2.8 million people, 2.8 billion people, about half the population of the earth make less than $2 a day. Did you know that 20% of the earth's population make less than $1 a day? Now, I know some of you are like, Mark, look, I don't need to be blessed. I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine with my life. I'm glad that you're happy with what you have, but the problem is, is the rest of the world is counting on America to be blessed and actually be generous. So I want you to know here at Oceans Church, we're just getting started. God gave us a vision that we'd have oceans campuses at every major ocean in the world. And I believe that not only is that day coming, it's coming faster than we realize. I saw a, a headquarter campus here that would send teams all over the world. And that one day we'd have a major oceans campus at every major ocean on the planet. There'll be an Indian Oceans Church. There'll be an Atlantic Oceans Church. 
but we're here in California as the flagship Pacific Oceans Church. And I want you to know that not only are we going to have these campuses, that's great crowds. We're not going to, our strength is not in how many we gather. Our strength will be in how much we send out. And I want you, one of the things that we're going to send beyond just people and social justice causes is going to be resources. I believe one of the reasons why we're here in Orange County is because there's resources here that can shake the rest of the earth. So we're going to open up our treasuries. And I'm telling you right now, you want to you get out of your funk? There's something about, come on, expressing worship and expressing generosity. Find someone that doesn't have your last name and bless them. Open up your treasuries. I was driving, uh, last night I was falling asleep when I was studying. So my wife said, go get some coffee. So I went to the best coffee shop that's open at 9.30 p.m. McDonald's. Um, don't judge me. McDonald's? I didn't know I was better than you. Um, no, I went to McDonald's and uh, I'm in the drive-thru and I feel like the Lord's like, I, I want you to, to leverage, open up all your gifts and shower this, whoever this kid is working the window with encouragement. God, I came here because I'm tired. I physically, I don't have any coffee at home. I needed to drive here for coffee. And this kid is at the window and he's like, he's busy, he's hustling. And the Lord said, Mark, I want you to open up like your treasuries, right? What's in your treasury, Mark? You're, You're good at talking to people. I want you to convince this kid how much I love him. Tire. So I'm like, hey, hey. So I got his attention. And I said, hey, what? And I saw his name. And I just, I called him. I said, hey, the, hey, man, it's, it's great. Hey, my name is Mark. You're doing a great job tonight, man. How long have you been working here? I'm working here. You're in high school? You're in high school? I said, hey, I'm, I'm not, I, I promise I'm pretty normal. Um, I'm actually a pastor of a church here in uh, Orange County, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a follower of Jesus. And when I saw you, I just felt like the Lord wanted me to tell you a couple things. He wanted me to tell you that number one, he loves you. And I just, I can't, I don't know why, but I just saw, that I saw like how much he has in store for your future. And it's actually so incredible that if you saw all of it right now, you'd probably fall down and start crying because of how big and how awesome his plans are for your life. I started encouraging this kid, 9.30, 10 o'clock, whatever night. And uh, I'm telling you, there's something about, listen, worship that'll actually unlock this generosity in you. You know not just money, I'm talking about your words. Do you know what the world is bankrupt with? Encouragement. You want to be the best employee in your office? Encourage everybody. You want to be the best boss anyone's ever had? Encourage your employees. Why? Because everyone is malnutri- there's malnutrition with encouragement across the board. And so, uh, can you stand on your feet? I'm sorry. I don't know who you are today, but I just feel like this word is for somebody. Amen? Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.